Welcome to another episode of Rebecca Reads. In The Jungle Book, Rudyard Kipling tells a story I'm sure most of you have heard of, the story of Mowgli growing up in a jungle and fighting the tiger Shere Khan. But The Jungle Book tells some other stories as well. Today's story is one of those other stories. It is called Ricky Tikki Tavi, and it is a story about a mongoose. Mongooses are really neat animals that live in India, and they are one of the only predators of cobras. I would encourage you to learn more about them or have your parents show you a video of one on the internet. This story is one of my son's favorites, and I used to have to read it to him every night. It is pretty long, so I've broken it up into two parts for you. Part two will come next week. Don't forget to stay after the story for this week's poem. So without further ado, here is part one of Ricky Tikki Tavi. This is the story of the great war that Ricky Tikki Tavi fought single-handed through the bathrooms of the big bungalow in Segloe Cantonment. Darzi, the tailor bird, helped him, and Chachandra, the muskrat, who never comes out into the middle of the floor but always creeps round by the wall, gave him advice, but Ricky Tikki did the real fighting. He was a mongoose, rather like a little cat in his fur and his tail, but quite like a weasel in his head and his habits. His eyes and the end of his restless nose were pink. He could scratch himself anywhere he pleased with any leg, front or back, that he chose to use. He could fluff up his tail till it looked like a bottle brush, and his war cry as he scuttled through the long grass was, One day, a high summer flood washed him out of the burrow where he lived with his father and mother and carried him, kicking and clucking, down a roadside ditch. He found a little wisp of grass floating there and clung to it till he lost his senses. When he revived, he was lying in the hot sun in the middle of a garden path, very draggled indeed, and a small boy was saying, Here's a dead mongoose. Let's have a funeral. No, said his mother. Let's take him in and dry him. Perhaps he isn't really dead. So they took him into the house, and a big man picked him up between his finger and thumb and said he was not dead but half choked. So they wrapped him in cotton wool and warmed him over a little fire, and he opened his eyes and sneezed. Now, said the big man, he was an Englishman who had just moved into the bungalow, don't frighten him and we'll see what he'll do. It is the hardest thing in the world to frighten a mongoose, because he is eaten up from nose to tail with curiosity. The motto of all the mongoose family is, run and find out, and Ricky Tikki was a true mongoose. He looked at the cotton wool, decided that it was not good to eat, ran all round the table, sat up and put his fur in order, scratched himself, and jumped on the small boy's shoulder. "'Don't be frightened, Teddy,' said his father. "'That's his way of making friends.' "'Ouch! He's tickling under my chin,' said Teddy. Ricky Ticky looked down between the boy's collar and neck, snuffed at his ear, and climbed down to the floor where he sat rubbing his nose. "'Good gracious,' said Teddy's mother. "'That's a wild creature. I suppose he's so tame because we've been kind to him.' "'All mongooses are like that,' said her husband. "'If Teddy doesn't pick him up by the tail or try to put him in a cage, he'll run in and out of the house all day long. Let's give him something to eat.' They gave him a little piece of raw meat. Ricky Ticky liked it immensely, and when it was finished, he went out into the veranda and sat in the sunshine and fluffed up his fur to make it dry to the roots. Then he felt better.' There are more things to find out about in this house, he said to himself, than all my family could find out in all their lives. I shall certainly stay and find out. He spent all that day roaming over the house. He nearly drowned himself in the bathtubs, put his nose into the ink on a writing table, and burned it on the end of the big man's cigar, for he climbed up in the big man's lap to see how writing was done. At nightfall, he ran into Teddy's nursery to watch how kerosene lamps were lighted. 
and when Teddy went to bed, Ricky Ticky climbed up too. But he was a restless companion, because he had to get up and attend to every noise all through the night and find out what made it. Teddy's mother and father came in, the last thing to look at their boy, and Ricky Ticky was awake on the pillow. I don't like that, said Teddy's mother. He may bite the child. He'll do no such thing, said the father. Teddy's safer with that little beast than if he had a bloodhound to watch him. If a snake came into the nursery now, but Teddy's mother wouldn't think of anything so awful. Early in the morning, Ricky Ticky came to early breakfast in the veranda, riding on Teddy's shoulder, and they gave him banana and some boiled egg. He sat on all their laps, one after the other, because every well-brought-up mongoose always hopes to be a house mongoose some day, and have rooms to run about in. And Ricky Ticky's mother, she used to live in the general's house at Segloe, had carefully told Ricky what to do if he ever came across white men. Then Ricky Ticky went out into the garden to see what was to be seen. It was a large garden, only half cultivated, with bushes as big as summer houses, of martial Neil roses, lime and orange trees, clumps of bamboos, and thickets of high grass. Ricky Ticky licked his lips. This is a splendid hunting ground, he said, and his tail grew bottle brushy at the thought of it. And he scuttled up and down the garden, snuffling here and there till he heard very sorrowful voices in the thorn bush. It was Darzee, the tailor bird, and his wife. They had made a beautiful nest by pulling two big leaves together and stitching them up the edges with fibers, and had filled the hollow with cotton and downy fluff. The nest swayed to and fro as they sat on the rim and cried. "'What's the matter?' asked Ricky Ticky. "'We are very miserable,' said Darzee. "'One of our babies fell out of the nest yesterday, and Nag ate him.' Hm, said Ricky Ticky. "'That is very sad.' But I am a stranger here. Who is Nag? Darzee and his wife only cowered down in the nest without answering, for from the thick grass at the foot of the bush there came a low hiss, a horrid cold sound that made Ricky Ticky jump back two clear feet. Then inch by inch out of the grass rose up the head and spread hood of Nag, the big black cobra, and he was five feet long from tongue to tail. When he had lifted one-third of himself clear of the ground, he stayed balancing to and fro, exactly as a dandelion tuft balances in the wind, and he looked at Ricky Ticky with the wicked snake's eyes that never change their expression, whatever the snake may be thinking of. "'Who is Nag?' said he. "'I am Nag. The great god Brahm put his mark upon all our people when the first cobra spread his hood to keep the sun off Brahm as he slept. Look and be afraid!' He spread out his hood more than ever, and Rikki-Tikki saw the spectacle mark on the back of it that looks exactly like the eye part of a hook-and-eye fastening. He was afraid for a minute— but it is impossible for a mongoose to stay frightened for any length of time. And though Ricky Ticky had never met a live cobra before, his mother had fed him on dead ones, and he knew that all a grown mongoose's business in life was to fight and eat snakes. Nag knew that too, and at the bottom of his cold heart he was afraid. Well, said Ricky Ticky, and his tail began to fluff up again, marks or no marks, do you think it is right for you to eat fledglings out of a nest? Nag was thinking to himself and watching the least little movement in the grass behind Ricky Ticky. He knew that mongooses in the garden meant death sooner or later for him and his family, but he wanted to get Ricky Ticky off his guard, so he dropped his head a little and put it on one side. Let us talk, he said. You eat eggs, why should I not eat birds? 
behind you, look behind you, sang Darzee. Rikki Tikki knew better than to waste time in staring. He jumped up in the air as high as he could go, and just under him whizzed by the head of Nagaina, Nag's wicked wife. She had crept up behind him as he was talking to make an end of him. He heard her savage hiss as the stroke missed. He came down almost across her back, and if he had been an old mongoose, he would have known that then was the time to break her back with one bite. But he was afraid of the terrible lashing return stroke of the cobra. He bit indeed, but did not bite long enough, and he jumped clear of the whisking tail, leaving Nagaina torn and angry. "'Wicked, wicked Darzee!' said Nag, lashing up as high as he could reach toward the nest in the thorn bush. But Darzee had built it out of reach of snakes, and it only swayed to and fro. Rikki Tikki felt his eyes growing red and hot. When a mongoose's eyes grow red, he is angry. And he sat back on his tail and hind legs like a little kangaroo and looked all round him and chattered with rage. But Nag and Nagaina had disappeared into the grass. When a snake misses its stroke, it never says anything or gives any sign of what it means to do next. Rikki Tikki did not care to follow them, for he did not feel sure that he could manage two snakes at once. So he trotted off to the gravel path near the house and sat down to think. It was a serious matter for him. If you read the old books of natural history, you will find they say that when the mongoose fights the snake and happens to get bitten, he runs off and eats some herb that cures him. That is not true. The victory is only a matter of quickness of eye and quickness of foot. Snakes blow against mongoose's jump, and as no eye can follow the motion of a snake's head when it strikes, this makes things much more wonderful than any magic herb. Ricky Tikki knew he was a young mongoose, and it made him all the more pleased to think that he had managed to escape a blow from behind. It gave him confidence in himself, and when Teddy came running down the path, Ricky Tikki was ready to be petted. But just as Teddy was stooping, something wriggled a little in the dust, and a tiny voice said, Be careful! I am death! It was Karate, the dusty brown snakeling that lies for choice on the dusty earth, and his bite is as dangerous as the cobra's. But he is so small that nobody thinks of him, and so he does the more harm to people. Ricky Tikki's eyes grew red again, and he danced up to Karate with a peculiar rocking, swaying motion that he had inherited from his family. It looks very funny, but it is so perfectly balanced a gait that you can fly off it from any angle you please, and in dealing with snakes, this is an advantage. If Ricky Tikki had only known, he was doing a much more dangerous thing than fighting Nag, for Karate is so small and can turn so quickly that unless Ricky bit him close to the back of the head, he would get the return stroke in his eye or his lip. But Ricky did not know. His eyes were all red, and he rocked back and forth, looking for a good place to hold. Karate struck out. Ricky jumped sideways and tried to run in, but the wicked little dusty gray head lashed within a fraction of his shoulder, and he had to jump over the body, and the head followed his heels close. Teddy shouted at the house, Oh, look here! Our mongoose is killing a snake! And Ricky Ticky heard a scream from Teddy's mother. His father ran out with a stick, but by the time he came up, Karate had lunged out once too far, and Ricky Ticky had sprung, jumped on the snake's back, dropped his head far between his forelegs, bitten as high up the back as he could get hold, and rolled away. That bite paralyzed Karate, and Ricky Ticky was just going to eat him up from the tail after the custom of his family at dinner when he remembered that a full meal makes a slow mongoose, and if he wanted all his strength and quickness ready, he must keep himself thin. 
He went away for a dust bath under the castor oil bushes, while Teddy's father beat the dead karate. What is the use of that? thought Rikki Tikki. I have settled it all. And then Teddy's mother picked him up from the dust and hugged him, crying that he had saved Teddy from death. And Teddy's father said that he was a providence, and Teddy looked on with big, scared eyes. Rikki Tikki was rather amused at all the fuss, which, of course, he did not understand. Teddy's mother might just as well have petted Teddy for playing in the dust. Ricky was thoroughly enjoying himself. That night at dinner, walking to and fro among the wine glasses on the table, he might have stuffed himself three times over with nice things. But he remembered Nag and Nagaina, and though it was very pleasant to be patted and petted by Teddy's mother and to sit on Teddy's shoulder, his eyes would get red from time to time, and he would go off into his long war cry of, Rick, ticky, 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 chick! Teddy carried him off to bed and insisted on Ricky Ticky sleeping under his chin. Ricky Ticky was too well-bred to bite or scratch, but as soon as Teddy was asleep, he went off for his nightly walk round the house, and in the dark he ran up against Chandra, the muskrat, creeping around by the wall. Chachandra is a broken-hearted little beast. He whimpers and cheeps all the night, trying to make up his mind to run into the middle of the room, but he never gets there. "'Don't kill me,' said Chachandra, almost weeping. "'Ricky Ticky, don't kill me.' "'Do you think a snake killer kills muskrats?' said Ricky Ticky scornfully. "'Those who kill snakes get killed by snakes,' said Chachandra, more sorrowfully than ever. "'And how am I to be sure that Nag won't mistake me for you some dark night?' "'That's not the least danger,' said Ricky Ticky. "'But Nag is in the garden, and I know you don't go there.' "'My cousin Chua the rat told me,' said Chachandra, and then he stopped. "'Told you what?' "'Hush! Nag is everywhere, Ricky-Ticky. "'You should have talked to Chua in the garden.' "'I didn't, so you must tell me. "'Quick, Chachandra, or I'll bite you.' "'Chachandra sat down and cried "'till the tears rolled off his whiskers. "'I'm a very poor man,' he sobbed. "'I never had spirit enough "'to run out into the middle of the room. "'Hush! I mustn't tell you anything. "'Can't you hear, Ricky-Ticky?' "'Ricky-Ticky listened. "'The house was as still as still, "'but he thought, he could just catch the faintest scritch-scratch in the world, a noise as faint as that of a wasp walking on a windowpane, the dry scratch of a snake's scales on brickwork. That's Nagger Nagaina, he said to himself, and he is crawling into the bathroom sluice. You're right, Chachandra, I should have talked to Chua. He stole off to Teddy's bathroom, but there was nothing there, and then to Teddy's mother's bathroom. The bottom of the smooth plaster wall there was a brick pulled out to make a sluice for the bath water and as ricky ticky stole by in the masonry curb where the bath is put he heard nag and nagaina whispering together outside in the moonlight when the house is emptied of people said nagaina to her husband he will have to go away and then the garden will be our own again go in quietly and remember that the big man who killed karate is the first one to bite then come out and tell me and we will hunt for ricky ticky together but are you sure that there is anything to be gained by killing the people said nag everything when there are no people in the bungalow did we have any mongoose in the garden so long as the bungalow is empty we are the king and queen of the garden and remember that as soon as our eggs in the melon bed hatch as they may tomorrow our children will need room and quiet "'I had not thought of that,' said Nag. "'I will go, but there is no need that we should hunt for Ricky Ticky afterward. "'I will kill the big man and his wife and the child if I can, and come away quietly. "'Then the bungalow will be empty and Ricky Ticky will go.' 
Ricky Dicky tingled all over with rage and hatred at this, and the nag's head came through the sluice, and his five feet of cold body followed it. Angry as he was, Ricky Dicky was very frightened as he saw the size of the big cobra. Nag coiled himself up, raised his head, and looked into the bathroom in the dark, and Ricky could see his eyes glitter. Now, if I kill him here, Nagaina will know, and if I fight him on the open floor, the odds are in his favor. What am I to do? said Ricky Ticky Tabby. Nag waved to and fro, and then Ricky Ticky heard him drinking from the biggest water jar that was used to fill the bath. That is good, said the snake. Now, when Karate was killed, the big man had a stick. He may have that stick still, but when it comes in to bathe in the morning, he will not have a stick. I shall wait here till he comes. Nagaina, do you hear me? I shall wait here in the cool till daytime. There was no answer from outside, so Ricky Ticky knew Nagaina had gone away. Nag coiled himself down coil by coil round the bulge in the bottom of the water jar, and Ricky Ticky stayed still as death. After an hour he began to move, muscle by muscle, toward the jar. Nag was asleep, and Ricky Ticky looked at his big back, wondering which would be the best place for a good hold. If I don't break his back at the first jump, said Ricky, he can still fight, and if he fights, oh, Ricky. He looked at the thickness of the neck below the hood, but that was too much for him and a bite near the tail would only make Nag savage. It must be the head, he said at last, the head above the hood, and when I am once there, I must not let go. Then he jumped. The head was lying a little clear of the water jar under the curve of it, and as his teeth met, Ricky braced his back against the bulge of the red earthenware to hold down the head. This gave him just one second's purchase, and he made the most of it. Then he was battered to and fro as a rat is shaken by a dog, to and fro on the floor, up and down and around in great circles, but his eyes were red, and he held on as the body cart-whipped over the floor, upsetting the tin dipper and the soap dish and the flush brush, and banged against the tin side of the bath. As he held, he closed his jaws tighter and tighter, for he made sure he would be banged to death, and for the honor of his family, he preferred to be found with his teeth locked. He was dizzy, aching, and felt shaken to pieces when something went off like a thunderclap just behind him. A hot wind knocked him senseless, and red fire singed his fur. The big man had been wakened by the noise and had fired both barrels of a shotgun into Nag just behind the hood. Ricky Ticky held on with his eyes shut, for now he was quite sure he was dead. But the head did not move, and the big man picked him up and said, It's the mongoose again, Alice. The little chap has saved our lives now. Then Teddy's mother came in with a very white face and saw what was left of Nag, and Ricky Ticky dragged himself to Teddy's bedroom and spent half the rest of the night shaking himself tenderly to find out whether he really was broken into 40 pieces as he fancied. Thank you for listening to the first part of Ricky Ticky Tabby. Would you like to have a pet mongoose? How did Ricky Ticky know how to kill snakes? Now that Nag is dead, what do you think will happen next? Today's poem is Caterpillar by Christina Rossetti. It goes, brown and furry, caterpillar in a hurry, take your walk to the shady leaf or stalk or whatnot, which may be the chosen spot. No toad spy you, hovering bird of prey pass by you. Spin and die to live again, a butterfly. And that is another episode of Rebecca Reads. Don't forget to listen next week to the end of Ricky Tiki Tabby. Until then, keep reading.